from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be here with you tonight, Thursday night. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, the saga continues, right? Hunter Biden's um, trial, is uh, his tax evasion trial, is set for June. We'll talk a little bit more about Hunter Biden. Uh, let's see, maybe uh, toward the bottom half of the second hour, I also want to get into a conversation on the debates last night. Iowa caucuses are right around the corner, and we're going to get some analysis on that as well. Plus, believe it or not, what what does a big victory for consumers look like? Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well uh, in an unexpected way, right? Something that hits you right, right in the kitchen, believe it or not. And we're going to discuss that. And I also want to talk about back in 20, I don't know, 2020, 2021, the Biden administration decided to say that the, the Houthi rebels, these um, were not terrorists. You see, they were not terrorists at all. Uh, well, today, the United States and the British navies are launching missile strikes against the Houthi rebels in Yemen. Why? Because they're terrorists. That's exactly what they are. It's just crazy. That is just crazy that, that what is um, going on with Biden. I mean, I'm just grateful that he doesn't double down on these things and go, no, 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 I said they weren't terrorists and we're not going to bomb them. We're not going to do anything like that. And I'm glad he just, you know, kind of looks the other way and says, yeah, just bomb them. Do what you got to do. Now that Austin's not here, he's not, just go bomb them. Do what you got to do. I, I mean, it, it could be worse, I guess. It could be worse. But it, it isn't, right? <laughs> uh, let me see here. I'm being told by the control room we have some audio that I can direct uh, our attention to. Uh, there we go. We got uh, Pentagon spokesman Pat Ryder. He's uh, General Pat Ryder. He says uh, exactly what I just told you, but you can hear it right from the horse's mouth. Check this out. Tuesday's reckless and illegal complex attack by the Houthis in the Southern Red Sea once again demonstrated the importance and effectiveness of Operation Prosperity Guardian and safeguarding commercial vessels and mariners transiting this vital waterway. As U.S. Central Command highlighted in their press release, U.S. and U.K. forces were able to down 18 one-way attack UAVs, two anti-ship cruise missiles, and one anti-ship ballistic missile when these weapons were launched towards international shipping lanes where dozens of merchant vessels were operating. Now, that's General Pat Ryder again from the Pentagon, the spokesman there, uh, talking about what happened on Tuesday, which is what's getting, you know, um, his britches in a bunch, but it doesn't just stop there. There was another attack today. Listen to this. The Houthis fired an anti-ship ballistic missile uh, from Houthi-controlled areas in Yemen into international shipping lanes in the Gulf of Aden. So these retaliatory strikes mark the first time attacks have targeted Houthi militants since they began launching their attacks in the, uh, the Red Sea last year. And the first strikes the U.S. has deployed against the Houthis since 2016. Now, these again, so just note that since 2016, right, that was the year Trump ran. Again, there was peace during the time that Trump was here in this regard. 
and there's not anymore. Now, uh, Biden, I'm sure, is going to try and take a victory lap and say, oh, you know, I'm doing fantastic here. This is the best thing ever. No, sir. <clears throat> Wrong. Está bien mal. Very, very bad. Very bad. Why? Because we didn't have to get to this point. Iran is running amok because Biden has allowed him to make all this money and he's given him back all this money that we sanctioned from them. What's the point of punishing people with sanctions if you're just going to give it back? Come on. I mean, I, I know I sound like a broken record here, but this is where we are. This is exactly where we've landed on this. So that's uh, the case with, with the Houthis. Then uh, over, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I'm into different types of music. I enjoy um, um, a good uh, country song when I hear one. My brother likes country. I, I never go, oh, come on, change that. I enjoy a good country song. But is there a good country song in my playlist? Probably not. I don't really know a, a ton of them other than the ones from TV like Blake Shelton and, uh, you know, a few others uh, that have been on this program. And they're f terrific. They're fantastic. However, I just, it's not my go-to, right? You know, I listen to hip-hop and reggaeton and, and uh, Spanish music and a lot of contemporary Christian music, believe it or not. But uh, country's just not uh, my genre here in New York. And, but it is for a lot of people. Anyway, my point is, there, during, um, it was, I think it was, no, New Year's Eve, I was at my brother's place, and there was an artist that came out, tattoos all over his face, looked like a very chubby version of Post Malone, and his name was Jelly Roll, and I had just heard of him for the first time the Saturday before New Year's Eve, which was on Sunday, and uh, he was, you know, I guess somebody was playing a clip of him winning an award, and he was giving a speech, and it was very heartfelt, and, 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 and you know, he got a standing ovation and whatnot, and I was like, wow, I've never heard of this guy, but he seems in extraordinarily popular. So I was telling my brother when I heard his name on the television, uh, you know, being uh, ignorant and presuming that he also had never heard of this man. <laughs> I was like, oh, Jelly Roll, this guy's insanely popular right now. Saw him get an award yesterday and he was getting this huge, huge, you know, uh, standing ovation and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, come on, Rich, you never seen Jelly Roll? I mean, this guy's terrific. He's got the best songs. He's talking about Jesus and God and country and family. It's fantastic. But it's very melancholy music, right? And I, I like to be a little more upbeat with my music, um, you know, kind of party music, if you will. And I was like, you know, I was there joking. I was like, oh, come on. Somebody passed a razor around. What are we going to take turns slitting our wrists here? This stuff is morbid. But it's a beautiful, beautiful song. The two that I heard, one was like a ballad. The other one was uh, more like a country tune. Anyway, good old Jelly Roll has a very, very interesting past. And he testified uh, before Congress. Uh, interestingly enough, and what he's talking about is the war on drugs. Now, I've got an article here. I just can't find it. Uh, all right. Tell me what number that article is. Let's see. Jelly Roll. Jelly Roll. How's that for killing momentum when you can't find stuff? Number four, country rock star Jelly Roll. There it is. Uh, testifying before the uh, Senate committee. And uh, I've got a uh, couple of clips of audio that you can hear from his um, uh, testimony in Congress. Listen to this. My name is Jason D. Ford, but to most I am known as Jelly Roll. I, it is important to establish earlier that I am a musician and that I have no political alliance. I am neither Democrat nor Republican. In fact, because of my past, my right to vote has been restricted. Thus far, I have never paid attention to a political race in my life. Ironically, I think that makes me the perfect person to speak about this because fentanyl transcends partisanship and ideology, gentlemen and women. This is a totally different problem. 
So now, uh, Jelly Roll, Mr. Uh, Jason DeFord, um, he was talking about fentanyl. Listen, I agree with him, and I agree with his music, too. Um, when he says that fentanyl transcends all um, political ideology, he's right. doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Fentanyl's killing everybody's kids, right? It's out there in these streets. This is a war um, that's, uh, I would say, being waged against us by China, by way of Mexico and the cartels. And here we are. Here we are where Americans are dying left and right. I think last I heard, or at least last winter, the statistic was that fentanyl was killing as, as many or as as many or more people than auto accidents, at least young people, like, you know, 18 and, and, and under. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate anymore, but that's an alarming number. So we're going to continue um, our conversations tonight. We've got a lot of topics on the table. We're going to continue our conversation with the drugs and, and the rest of Mr. Jelly Roll's um, testimony. Uh, we'll do that a little bit later on, probably towards the end of the hour. And... And uh, we're also going to continue our, our conversation on what's going to happen in Iowa, what happened in those debates last night, these phone calls, these hot mics, Chris Christie, you name it, there's so much going on. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Plus, uh, I want to talk about, again, this uh, consumer victory in the courts, uh, as well as what exactly transpired in this hearing that I played you that clip of where the reporter yells, what kind of crack do you smoke, Mr. Biden? It was just absolutely insane. So we're going to talk about the Hunter Biden hearing as well a little bit later. Plus, uh, at the uh, top of our number three, we've got Open Phone America, where you guys get to chime in on everything that we're talking about. And if you have questions throughout, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I think it is incredibly important that we're honest and say we have to focus on national security. Don't go and lie to the American people to make them think we can't do this. You turn around and raise the debt limit. You're the one that's talked about, look at what you did to Florida. But think about the fact that he's talking about where's this money going to come from. The best way to tell about a candidate is to see how they've run their campaign. He has blown through $150 million. I don't even know how you do that. Through his campaign, he has nothing to show for it. He spent more money on private planes than he has on commercials trying to get Iowans to vote for him. If you can't manage a campaign, how are you going to manage a country? That's Nikki Haley uh, at the uh, CNN debate yesterday, blasting DeSantis for spending $150 million, uh, pointing out that it's mainly on private jets and whatnot, and uh, trying to, um, you know, uh, hit him where it hurts. Um, I think that that wasn't probably the best way to do it, but whatever. Uh, she seems to be beating him, so I can't argue that too much. And I want to get into some analysis on that, on what we can expect in the days to come in Iowa, as well as what's going on in the uh, the political state of affairs in our country with uh, Hogan Gidley. Hogan Gidley's a former deputy press secretary during the Trump years in the White House. He's also uh, doing amazing work with, with uh, AFPI, America First Policy Institute, and he's with us now. Hogan, welcome back. Oh, great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me again. You bet. So you, you just heard Nikki Haley, and she's she's blasting DeSantis. And 
honestly, I mean, if you're going to blast the guy who's a sitting governor, blast him on his policies, right? Um, not on taking private jets, in my opinion. But um, she, she's there, they're neck and neck and whatever they're going to do to see who's going to be the, the runner up to Trump. And uh, I, I, I don't. I don't see uh, either of these things going anywhere. I don't think DeSantis goes anywhere uh, because he just has kind of failure to launch. Uh, we have Haley, who's basically um, embraced the uh, the McConnell wing of the party. And it, it seems like um, a runaway win for Trump. But I don't want to play like we're ahead. We should definitely play like we're behind. What say you? Well, there are two ways to run elections. Mike Huckabee used to tell me this all the time. Uh, you run either unopposed or you run scared. And even though the polls show um, Donald Trump with massive leads, 20, 30, 40, 50 points in some states, 60 in others, um, they're running the campaign like they're losing. And that's the smart way to do it, to try and make sure you don't leave any stone left unturned. I mean, there's 1,600 or so precincts in in, uh, Iowa, and they've got more than 2,000 precinct captains. I mean, they have 400 training centers to teach people how to go to caucus. I mean, cause it's not like a, a primary, you know, where you wake up in the morning at seven, you start voting and the polls close at 7 PM and they just count the votes. It's a caucus. It doesn't start till 7 PM. So uh, a lot can happen in that day, but they are doing the, doing it the right way, taking nothing for granted. Um, you wouldn't even think he'd even served or held office before, uh, not to mention being the president of the United States. So, they're doing it the right way over there, and that's good for them. I think, I think people like Ron DeSantis, people like Nikki Haley, that debate, um, you know, you turn there and you watch, and it's just policy, 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 real quick. Number one, number two, number three, here's what I'll do. Number four, I'm going to do this. Number five, it just was so small. And then you flip over to, to Fox, and you're watching Donald Trump, and he's so affable and so much fun and playing with the crowd and – getting into policy, but not lecturing everybody. It was one of those deals where you just realize how good he actually is, not just with people, but with policy as well. I was really impressed with his answers. And I think at the, at the current rate, at the current stage, if these polls are right, you're already seeing some of these other camps like DeSantis and Nikki kind of tamp down expectations. That's always a telltale sign right before the vote starts. If Donald Trump holds this big lead, now look, these are all ifs here, but let me play this out for a second. If Donald Trump wins Iowa, he's 1-0, and the story will be Donald Trump won Iowa, and then the media is going to start pounding Ron DeSantis for spending all of that money and, and spending all that time and not winning. Then you go to New Hampshire a week later, and if Donald Trump holds that lead there and wins there, he's 2-0, and and those other two people are 0-2. You go into South Carolina, and it's a month between New Hampshire and South Carolina, one of the longest splits we've ever had. And even though it's Nikki's home state, it's my home state. She was my governor, for heaven's sakes. Mm. It's still Donald Trump company, uh, country. And if he wins South Carolina, I'm telling you right now, you will have a de facto nominee by the end of February. Outstanding. Uh, what do you think the odds are of that? I, I, it's, it seems like Trump is doing well. I don't know that Kim Reynolds is extraordinarily um, um, popular. In, in her state, uh, but she seems to be backing DeSantis. Haley seems to be ahead in, in uh, certain polls, uh, Trump ahead in many others. Um, how do you think it plays out? Well, I've not seen a single poll where Trump wasn't leading. Uh, Kim Reynolds, look, that's a big endorsement in Iowa. She is popular, but it's not just that she endorsed him. What she does as a sitting governor is 
it gives him an apparatus to turn out those caucus goers, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. And remember, with bad weather, I mean, it's going to be neg it's going to feel like negative twenty two on caucus night. It's going to be freezing in Iowa. Um, temperatures in the in the single digits, negative single digits, and negative teens. And then the wind chill is going to take it that low. It matters to have a turnout apparatus. Well, DeSantis has that. The problem is there aren't that many people now in that in that in that realm in that space that want to vote for DeSantis. At least not right now by polling. Again, a lot can change. Look, I work for Rick Santorum. I work for Mike Huckabee. They both won Iowa. No one ever heard of them until they they won on caucus night. Right. So I know that state's tough, right? You, it's about turning out your votes. That's why I'm so excited that the Trump campaign is doing it the right way and actually getting the, the mechanism, the nuts and bolts, the blocking and tackling you have to do to win elections. But I, I just don't know where uh, from where uh, DeSantis is, is going to draw votes in Iowa. And the same thing applies to Nikki in New Hampshire. She has Sununu. It's a small state. Sununu is well-liked. He's well-known. But how much does that actually get you when it comes down to pull the lever? And look, these are all unanswered questions, but they all matter. If Trump wins big in Iowa, does that, you know, he gets over 50%, which really no one's ever done. If he does right. that, what then happens to the vote in New Hampshire for Nikki? Are they depressed? Do they not like it? And so many people today said, oh, Chris Christie's out. So guess what? All of those votes are going to go to Nikki. Well, first of all, I'm not so sure that hot mic situation wasn't on purpose. Chris Christie's pretty savvy, pretty smart, been around for a while. He knows the media. He knows microphones. So I wouldn't put it past him to try and do that. But in the meantime, what you heard was he's going to crush Nikki Haley. She's no good. Well, what do you think Chris Christie's supporters think about Nikki? They don't like her either. So the chances of every single one of those supporters that Chris Christie had going straight to Nikki are really slim to none because if they like Nikki in the first place, they would have gone to her. That doesn't mean he, she won't get some of those votes, but a lot of people think all those people are going to go right to Nikki Haley's camp. And that means she's going to be able to surpass Trump and then game on. I'm just not so sure about that. All right, folks, we're on with Hogan Gidley. Hogan, I want to, I want to revisit this hot mic. And so the audience is up to speed exactly on what Chris Christie said and get a little bit uh, more, uh, more of your take on it as we move forward with Hogan Gidley from America First Policy Institute, former Deputy Press Secretary in the White House. And, of course, your calls are welcome, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> when you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. They don't want to hear it. We know we're right, but they don't want to hear it. Right. And, and there's, you know, we couldn't have been any clearer. Right. We couldn't have been any more, any more direct or worked any harder. So, you know. Yeah. Well, when you give land to China and places like that. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, she spent 68 million so far, just on TV. Spent 68 million so far, 59 million by DeSantis, and we spent 12. I mean, who's punching above their weight and who's getting a return on their investment, you know? And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. She hasn't even been she's still 20 points behind Trump in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And he's, gonna, he's still going to carry out, right? Yes. Always. I, t- you know, I talked to De- DeSantis called me, petrified that I would. He's probably getting out of All right. That is the uh, infamous hot mic conversation between uh, some folks in the media and Chris Christie. Uh, saying that Haley's going to get smoked and DeSantis called him and he was petrified that and there's a big cliffhanger there. Hogan Gidley is our guest. Hogan Gidley is a former deputy press secretary in the White House during the Trump years. He's also with uh, America First Policy Institute. And Hogan Gidley, what do you surmise um, was what Ron DeSantis was so frantic about, according to Chris Christie? He was probably concerned, I think, that uh, Chris Christie was going to get out and endorse Nikki. I think that's mm. what that was about. That's probably why he was frantic because he was going to tell her, Hey, don't please don't endorse her because look, she's, she's the one that's surging right now. And Ron DeSantis is going in the opposite direction. And I would imagine what he wanted was assurances that Chris Christie would not endorse Nikki. Now it's also my understanding that Haley camp didn't want Chris Christie's endorsement because they feel like it would hurt her. Uh, it would make her look even more establishment, more you know, elitist Republican, more corporatist than she already does. But that cake is baked, I'm afraid, for her. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean she's not going to do well. Doesn't mean she's not surging. I'm just trying to point out the facts here. So that part of the party, that, that 2004 kind of self-loathing, lovable loser conservative that wants open borders and, and trade deals that do not benefit American workers, that party, I think, is, is long gone. I think Donald Trump kind of put the final nail in that coffin in 2016 when he pushed forward with those America First policies. And so I, I just don't see a pathway for anybody else at this time if everything stays the way it does. But as far as the Christie News is concerned, again, it sent shockwaves through the media and uh, through the race yesterday because people were so concerned about what Chris Christie was going to do next. Uh, would he endorse? Would he stay out? You know, what was he going to say? And I got to tell you, that speech he gave where he stepped out of the race was kind of all over the place. It was mm-hmm. discombobulated. It was, I'm the only one who can do this. It was still very self-aggrandizing. But at the same time, he was running down everybody else. And you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, then stay in. If you're the only one who can win, right. if you're the only one that has the smarts, <laughs> Get her done. then stay in. But everything else, everybody else had done, everybody else's campaign he was mocking and saying was so horrible, but they were kicking your tail. So, like, what does that say about your campaign, you know? I don't know. It just, just was kind of a weird moment for someone like Chris Christie, who, who I think is a very adept and a very good politician. Me too. Uh, I spent a couple of years in the Christie administration when he was governor in, in New Jersey. 
and I can tell you he's one of the shrewdest politicians I've ever seen, a smart guy, and, and did a lot of things the right way um, in, a, in a very blue state like New Jersey, but really um, took a, a turn um, that I can't really explain when I guess he fell out with Trump, and since then it's been like this vendetta against Trump where uh, I think he's using something other than his better judgment when he makes decisions and, and makes these speeches that are just kind of uh, missing the mark, in my opinion. I think they miss what the American people are looking to hear. And I think that's where Trump. Yeah, it. it was it was weird, you know, and I think ever since he gave kind of Barack Obama that French kiss on the Jersey Shore <laughs> after Hurricane Sandy, he's kind of been persona non grata and he missed some windows there and opportunities. But, you know, even even he's been all over the place in this campaign. He came out swinging Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that. And then in one of those debates, he was kind of like, look, can't we all just get along? We should really be focused on Joe Biden. We should. I was like, wait a minute. That's not the Chris Christie everyone knows. That's sure right. not the one everyone loves. They expect you to throw elbows. They expect you to be tough. You were a Republican governor in a blue state and you were taking on uh, everybody right and left. You were doing these good things. So it was a weird you know, campaign from start to finish. It was like he couldn't find who he was at right. the time. And and so that was weird. And you're right. The fallout with Trump when, you know, he thought he was going to get all these big jobs and didn't. What was interesting, though, was he also ran a campaign in which he said Donald Trump had all these grievances and Donald Trump was angry. But that was Chris Christie's entire campaign. Right. He, he, was, he was mad that he didn't get picked for all these things. So, you know, so again, I've always kind of been a Christie fan, but he's kind of a Republican from a bygone era at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement for sure. Uh, it, it's more of a populist party. It's way more conservative now than it has been in the past, other than like the the um, the emergence of the Tea Party back in uh, 2010 or so. And I think. Sure. Uh, I think that's the move for now. I don't know that we ever go back to the country club Republican. What do you think? I don't think so either, especially if you have someone like Donald Trump kind of leading the way. And I do think people underneath him and our bench understand that's where the party is because that's where the country is. Those America first policies Donald Trump implemented. I mean, they're supported by anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of the country. And, and for whatever reason, look, a lot goes into winning and losing elections. It's, it's candidates, it's turnout apparatus, it's, it's uh, you know, individual issues in individual states. It's not always one thing. So, you know, our policies are so, so popular, but yet sometimes we still lose elections. So it's always confusing as to why. But a lot go, goes into these things. But as far as the future of the GOP is concerned, I've been doing this now for 25 years. I was kind of at the at the feet of Mike Huckabee when he was governor, learning from him. And he, he kind of started some of this. I mean, that, that blue-collar uh, conservative is something he, he kind of began to build out, and Rick Santorum comes along and kind of taps into it, too. And then it was Donald Trump who actually came along and, and was able to weaponize it for, for good and, and win an election and then govern in the same manner. And I think so many in the middle of this country take a look at those successes that gave us you know, rational border policy that gave us energy independence, that gave us low taxes, a, a good economy, low inflation, low interest rates. Wars were not breaking out all over the country, and he was doing all over the world rather. And he was he was he was doing things different than the establishment told him. I mean, I was there when he said he wanted to move the embassy in in Israel to to um, to Jerusalem, and they said you can't do that. And he said why not? And they said because the whole region will devolve into war. 
it's a slap in the face to to Iran and you don't understand Saudi Arabia. You don't understand. He said, why not? That's that's their home. I don't understand. So let's do it. We're doing it. And then he did it. And what do you know? Peace broke out everywhere. I mean, he did everything the opposite of what the experts had said was the way to do things forever. And he was successful. So I think a lot of people have seen that. And hopefully this party stays kind of in that populist vein, stays in the in the, uh, you know, we're for the American people, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed, regardless of socioeconomic status. That's what Donald Trump brought us, and I hope we stay there. Amen to that. Hogan Gidley, stick with us. I want to wrap up with you and ask a couple of final questions. Uh, folks, we're on with Hogan Gidley, former deputy press secretary in the White House during the Trump years, and uh, he's with America's America First Policy Institute, doing an amazing job there. Plus uh, your calls, 833-482-5337, all of that and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Mr. Call Screener who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So while the Democrats are trying to get Trump off the ballot and uh, trying to put him in jail and, and Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are trying to do the same thing, uh, at least, you know, in terms of beating him, of course, uh, you've got a guy named Castro in Texas. He's a Republican. He's running for president, John Anthony Castro. And he also brought a number of lawsuits uh, based on the 14th Amendment, trying to disqualify Trump from being on the ballot. And lo and behold, this guy, he gets caught on tax fraud and he's been arrested on tax fraud charges. Hogan Gidley, welcome back. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard this story or not, but it's just um, it's funny to me that everybody's out trying to get Trump on this or on that. And it seems like the table's turned on this guy. What do you think happens with these uh, 14th Amendment lawsuits, Colorado and everything else? Well, I've not heard that story, but it is always rich when you hear Democrats who accuse Republicans of things they are guilty of actually doing. <laughs> that mm-hmm. tends to be kind of the, the track these things take. Look, what's one of the, it's so troubling for so many reasons. They can't beat Donald Trump. I mean, he's winning in all the polls. So what they're trying to do is, Say you don't have a choice anymore. We're just going to give you one option, and that's Joe Biden by trying to take people off the ballot. But also, they're accusing Donald Trump of a federal crime, and and they're trying to basically convict him in state courts, in state you know uh, Supreme Courts. He's not been even charged with insurrection. And b- by the way, Jack Smith, give me a break. That prosecutor would love to charge Donald Trump with insurrection, but he hasn't because he knows he's not guilty of it. So these state courts are basically saying you, Donald Trump are guilty of a crime. You've not been charged with, you've not stood trial for, and you've not been convicted of. Now, how is that supposed to work? And talk about opening Pandora's box. My goodness, you know, and I know if Republicans wanted to do the same thing with this lawfare, they could go after Hunter, they could go after Joe Biden, they could go after politicians, Bob Menendez, anybody they wanted to 10,000 times over. And I think a lot of Republicans and a lot of elected officials like uh, attorneys general and others will possibly do that. 
But this is really a slap in the face to our democracy. And it really is. It, it reeks of totalitarianism. And when you see someone like Secretary Blinken go up and accuse other countries of jailing their political opponents and saying how wrong it is and we reject other nations that do that, you just have to kind of pinch yourself and go, wait a minute. You know, that's exactly what your administration's trying to do, right? So I think the American people are waking up to the fact this is not just wrong. It's also dangerous for the future of this country. I agree with that 100 percent. And I want to believe that uh, a change in leadership, a change in direction is like a a breath of fresh air for this country where we can kind of, uh, you know, turn the Titanic around a little bit. Uh, back to the the economy pre-COVID and back to some of those policies that unleashed uh, energy dominance and and um, rolled back so many um, restrictive uh, business policies where where people can actually earn some money and and see household incomes raise again. Uh, I believe all of that can happen. But my what I don't know, and I don't have a crystal ball, neither do you. But I'm I'm curious to know your thoughts as to. Has too much damage been done with the Claudine gaze of the world, with the the massive damage that the left has done in terms of sexuality and the hypersexualization of children, um, the the departure from reality when we look at how government works in America? It seems to me that we're literally upside down. I feel like I'm living in bizarro land every single day when I prepare for this show. And uh, I'm thinking maybe I'm jaded because I see too much of this stuff. Maybe it's just because they're in, a, in a, an election year or maybe it's just because things are really screwed up and we, we can't turn back the hands of time. What say you? Oh, goodness. I, I, you know, I'm an optimist and I like to think the American spirit is, is going to end up uh, kind of being revived. The understanding yeah. that this country, while experiencing difficult times in her past uh, and in the present, that doesn't make us unique. What makes us unique is typically we come out of those a stronger country. And, and when the left tries to run us down and say that this wonderful America is somehow the cause of the world's problems, that we're the root of all evil, you take a look at other nations and people dying, literally trying to get here. You realize that America is still a beacon of hope and of strength and of democracy and of goodness um, all over the world. People see that. And the left wants to fundamentally change America, and they believe that if they, if they can sell it in colleges and universities, if they can sell it in grade school that America is so evil, then obviously if something's evil, you want to get rid of it, right? If it's so bad, mm-hmm. you want to change it, right? And then it makes it okay to change it. And I think there are enough people now waking up to this, and honestly, you can say what you want to about COVID. You can say what you want to about this war in Israel but one of those instances really woke uh, the parents up to what right. our children were being taught in schools. And now we see, because of the war in Israel, what our college kids are being taught. And I was on TV the other day, and someone said, can you believe they're teaching this to our kids now? And I said, now? Where do you think the <laughs> teachers learned it? The right. teachers learned it in those universities, too. We're just now waking up to that fact. And so the left hates when we notice what they're doing. And they try to deny it for too long. And then when it's undeniable, they say they're just mad Republicans pounce. You guys just notice too much. But I think that cat's out of the bag. And I do think that this country is going to get, you know, back righted again. We do need new leadership. We need better vision. Donald Trump can provide that. Anyone on the right could provide that. But I think he's best suited to do it at this point. 
and going back into an administration where back into a White House where not only do you have the knowledge and know how to fix things with policy, but now you understand the forces of evil against you inside the federal government, the weaponization of these three-letter agencies, I think you're going to see some major changes for the better in this country. And the futures of of you and me and and for generations to come will be restored with proper leadership. Um, And I, I hope Donald Trump can do that. Amen to that, Hogan Gidley. Let everybody know how they could follow you on social media and how they could keep up to speed with the work you're doing with AFPI and everywhere else. Sure. Uh, A1 Policy is uh, is where you can find anything about uh, America First Policy Institute, uh, but also with me personally, and, and I, I post a lot of work stuff as well, but it's uh, at J. Hogan Gidley, at J. Hogan Gidley, and that's on all my socials. That's Truth, that's Twitter, that's Instagram, that's uh, Getter, it's all of them, so you can find me there for sure. Hogan Gidley, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Keep up the good work, and thanks for staying up late and chatting with us. Always appreciate the time. God bless. Thanks so much. You got it. Godspeed, my friend. Folks, we're coming right back with your calls more and a little bit more on our buddy Jelly Roll. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. And uh, our buddy Guy in Vero Beach, Florida on WTTB is asking, is Nikki Haley even eligible to be president? Well, last I checked, you had to be an American citizen. She was born in South Carolina. Um, As far as I know, that's what uh, allows you to be president, right? That and a couple of other things that are in the Constitution. She seems to meet the standard to me. So I think um, that one is dead in the water. Yes, she can run for president. She can be president. I just don't think she's going to be president. Hopefully I don't have to eat those words one day. Now, I was talking about Jelly Roll earlier. And Jelly Roll, uh, and I just like saying his name because that's kind of cool. He's a big fat guy with tattoos on his face. And I was a big fat guy once. I'm like, like a chubby guy. And, um, you know, what, what a cool name, right, to, to be called Jelly Roll. <laughs> it's kind of like, why do they call it? Nobody's going to ask, right? Nobody's going to ask you, why, hey, why do you call you Jelly Roll? But he had some stunning confessions I did not know about his past as a, as a street chemist, a.k.a. a drug dealer. Listen to this. Equally, I think it's important for me to tell you all that I'm not here to defend the use of illegal drugs. And I also understand the paradox of my history as a drug dealer standing in front of this committee. But equally, I think that's what makes me perfect to talk about this. I was a part of the problem. I am here now standing as a man that wants to be a part of the solution. I brought my community down. I hurt people. I was the uneducated man in the kitchen playing chemists with drugs I knew absolutely nothing about, just like these drug dealers are doing right now when they're mixing every drug on the market with fentanyl, and they're killing the people we love. That's Jelly Roll, the country music superstar that is blowing up wherever you go. You're going to see him. He played, I think, in every single one of the uh, New Year's Eve uh, television programs on every network. He was uh, all over the place. Him and Leonard Skinner, they were all over. But anyway, uh, I, I love what he's saying. I love what he's talking about. He's coming at fentanyl. He's saying it's a big problem. We need more people out there talking about fentanyl being a big problem. And he's reaching many, many people. So kudos to Jelly Roll and uh, his quest. We'll get back into some of the other audio clips and of uh, what he said uh, before uh, the Senate committee 
a little bit later in the program. Straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation on how consumers won big in court uh, yesterday, I believe. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Thursday night. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to talk about a bunch of things tonight. Of course, we um, talked about some of the big headlines Uh, Joe Biden was reacting earlier to the uh, horrible inflation report uh, by uh, blaming Republicans. (laughs) That's what he does best. Hunter Biden has pled not guilty to his tax uh, evasion charges. Um, Jeffrey Epstein's brother uh, continues to suggest that former AG Bill Barr could be part of um, a movement to protect people linked to the quote unquote suicide of his brother in jail. And, um, The list goes on and on. There's a lot of headlines here. I don't want to get into all of it. Uh, There's only so much we can talk about tonight. Now, something else that I wanted to bring up was uh, this uh, dishwasher drama that I was talking about earlier with consumers uh, scoring a big win in the Fifth District. Now, uh, Fifth Circuit Court. Now, I know many of you are thinking, dishwashers, hold on. What are you talking about? It's, It's not so much about the dishwasher to me, right? It's it's about how they push things. Right. They push things uh, one way or the other. And ultimately, when push comes to shove, you start to realize things and you go, well, you know what? This is the government and industry trying to get the better of people. And it looks like they, they've uh, corrected that today. But here to um, to help us understand what's going on and uh, break up, break down this big win for consumers is Will Hild. He's executive director of Consumers Research and he's with us now. Will Hild, welcome back. Great to be with you. Yes, sir. So let's talk about this. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth District um, had a, uh, a significant victory in, in their courts for consumers today, or yesterday, rather, and uh, opened up um, the, the pathway for, I guess, for manufacturers to create new appliances with fewer restrictions. And I think that's a good thing. What say you? 
It's 100% a good thing. Basically, what had happened is that the Biden administration's Department of Energy had put incredibly restrictive or wanted to put incredibly restrictive uh, requirements on things like dishwashers, and they wanted to do it with clothes dryers, clothes washers as well. So think of your most of your main appliances. They've been pushing hard to increase the, uh, or I should say decrease, the amount of water and power used by these appliances. Well, that sounds like a nice thing, except for here's the problem. It was at the cost of them actually working and doing their jobs. Yeah. So the same dishwasher that would normally be able to wash your dishes well in 30 or 40 minutes was suddenly taking two hours and not even doing the job. People were having to pre-wash the dishes beforehand and even sometimes wash them again on the way out. And so what the court basically said is this was an arbitrary and capricious regulation. This didn't make any sense. Uh, even the Department of Energy noted that people used more water washing the dishes, putting them in, than, than the, it saved having these washing machines be more efficient. So this is a huge win for consumers. It's a huge win for our standard of living. If you think about the things that make your day-to-day uh, pleasurable or unpleasurable, it's not necessarily the big issues of you know the corporate tax rate or which party's in power. It's, it's whether the things you buy actually work and do the things that they're supposed to do. You know, Will Hild, I, I I hear you telling me about this, and and all I can think of is, this is so comical, right? And it's comical because the reason they put these regulations, these these um, excessive regulations from the DOE in the first place, are because they want to be green, they want to be better on the environment, they want to use less resources, and in turn, you end up using more resources, right? You got to run the dishwasher again, right? At more, double the electricity, double the water, and double the time. And it, it's just fascinating to me that this is the world that we live in today with all these quote-unquote smart people. Uh, it seems like they haven't figured anything out. It, well, you're 100% correct. They have a, a strange, almost monomaniacal focus on so-called green or energy-efficient appliances even when those things don't do the job that they're supposed to do. Now, I, I don't know if a specific company in this case, oftentimes uh, it's also an issue of corruption. For example, part of what led to the banning or the functional ban of the incandescent light bulb is because General Electric had sort of cornered the market on the halogen bulbs. And so they were pushing hard to basically have incandescent bulbs uh, banned here in the United States, not directly, but through these, again, these energy efficiency standards. Now, I don't know if there's a appliance maker that was pushing for that, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was a combination of, of uh, a, a, an appliance maker that had a particular niche that they wanted basically imposed on everyone else for their own profit, plus, again, these Biden administration folks, you know, just just obsessed with somehow lowering the amount of water and electricity the average American gets to use. You know, it's a shame that this is where we, we are when it comes to these things, but lamentably, that's where we are where certain um, manufacturers, certain car makers, certain whomever, uh, kind of same thing we see, I think, with electric cars. I, I don't think, um, you tell me if I'm wrong as much as you know, if there is a, a real benefit to electric cars at any point. I haven't seen one yet, and I, I've seen uh, just embarrassing moments. I've seen the CEO of Ford uh, doing a test drive in, a, in an electric F-150 and being embarrassed by it, saying we gotta, we've got a lot of work to do. I've seen um, uh, Jennifer Granholm, the secretary of the Energy Department, um, doing an all, a, a similar tour in an electric vehicle and have to have her staffers uh, uh, literally hoard the charging stations bec- and, and they got arrested or they called the police on them because they couldn't do that because her car was running out of power and it didn't have enough juice to make it the entire distance that she had to travel. 
And it just seems that we, we, we see so many examples of people trying to push an agenda that doesn't genuinely work. You are 10,000% correct when it comes to electric vehicles. Uh, I, there are people who enjoy them. They, they, they have a little bit of an ability to, because they don't have any gearing, so they can accelerate faster. But in terms of what the average American needs to get to and from work, to pick up their kids from school, it is the exact opposite. They are expensive. The batteries uh, go bad after, you know, depending on, you know, 50 to 60,000 miles and have to be completely replaced, which costs, can cost tens of thousands of dollars. Um, they're really not that energy efficient. The electricity that, uh, that powers them ha still has to be produced somewhere. So the idea that you're not burning fossil fuels, you, you know, assuming you even think that's a bad thing, they, you know, 60 percent right. of the American energy is, is produced using fossil fuels. So the electricity for your Tesla is still you're burning coal or natural gas somewhere and then inefficiently being pumped to your house to charge your, your, your battery. Then in addition to that, that's just the effect on the consumer. These aren't that good for the environment. The um, heavy metals that are required to make these batteries, the cobalt, for example, is almost exclusively comes from uh, open pit mines in the Congo that are, that are being operated by, you know, I, I, will, I will use the euphemism, 12-year-old uh, uh, child interns, okay, unpaid 12-year-olds. Uh, and then it's shipped to China because of our environmental regulations. Almost all of these heavy metals have to be refined in China where there's almost no environmental protection whatsoever and then shipped here to make these batteries. So they're not good for the environment. They're not good for society um, and, and they're not good for the consumer. But they're being pushed by special interests who want, uh, you know, uh, carve outs for the electric uh, vehicle industry. And they're being again pushed by these environmentalists who, you know, never seem to, to find a, a reason not to intervene in our day to day lives. Folks, we're on with Will Hild. He is the executive director of Consumers Research. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to get an update uh, from him on the latest with ESG and how that's rearing its ugly head throughout America. Uh, don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, familia. And I want to continue our discussion with Will Hild, Executive Director of Consumers Research. And part of what they do at Consumers Research is fight against ESG. And of course, we've talked about this in the past. Um, I bring it up every now and again. It stands for Environmental Social Governance. And this ESG model has been, um, in my opinion, ripped from the model that they use uh, in China, the uh, social credit score model. And it's been 
gently introduced into uh, our system here in America by way of introducing it to our corporations and forcing them to live up to this standard, which uh, I guess will eventually trickle down to the rest of us saying we have to live up to the same standard and be monitored as such. And Will Hild, I'd like you to kind of break it down for us a little bit more and give us an update on what's happening on the ESG front. Is it fading away or is it uh, getting more and more entrenched? Well, it's sort of a combination of the two. The the good news is that over the last year, and I'm I'm, ha- I'm proud to say we played at least some role in this. Uh, there's been a huge pushback against the ESG movement, um, and <clears throat> there's you can go online now and read uh, places like the Wall Street Journal declaring the death of of the ESG movement, or that that the term has become uh, anathema on Wall Street. They're embarrassed of it. Larry Fink, Black, uh, CEO of BlackRock, who is who is and was one of the most biggest proponents of ESG has said that he's ashamed uh, that, they, that they've become associated with the term and then they're going to stop using it. That's the good news. Uh, I think people, yeah. uh, you know, thanks to folks like you waking people up to this, um, that, that, you know, there's been a, there's been a, a retrenchment that said, I'm, I believe they've changed their rhetoric. I don't believe they've changed their actions. I can get into a little bit of the specifics of that. Yeah, sure. Please do. Because I think, uh, we hear about all the biggest companies uh, doing this, and just because a few people at the top are now shaking their heads, say, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm so beside myself. How could I have ever gotten involved with this? doesn't mean anything. I mean, I think China, uh, just as, as a, you know, a juxtaposition, China uh, kind of backtracked from their um, net zero policy, but it, it doesn't really mean anything, right? The climate change agenda is still um, as crazy as it's ever been. Exactly. And I, I, kind of one way to start this is to kind of explain a little bit about how ESG operates in practice. You've got large asset managers, the biggest being BlackRock, but there are others like Vanguard and State Street. And they've hoovered up large you know, sums of, of money to, to manage for their clients. But this isn't their money. This is state, local, federal pension funds, university endowments, um, large institutional foundations, right? And so they have trillions of dollars of assets under management. They go into the market and they buy shares in companies. Most of this isn't even invested in, in explicitly ESG funds. This is, for example, one of uh, BlackRock's biggest funds is just their iShares S&P 500 index fund. But because of that, they end up controlling, you know, 8, 9, 10, 15, depending on the, the company, percent of the out, shares outstanding. And because even though it's not their money, because they're the ones holding as a fiduciary, they're the ones that get to to vote those shares and to represent the company or uh, represent the shareholders when they speak to the company. And so what BlackRock has been doing for years is they've been meeting with these companies in closed door meetings. They call them corporate engagements. They brag about how many they do. And they talk about with these companies what what BlackRock, what CEO Larry Fink, wants them to be focusing on as you might expect it's these esg factors it's it's targeting net zero it's expanding their dei departments it's it's putting race and sex-based quotas for the membership of their boards and in some cases if they don't play ball they've replaced members of these boards of directors so if they they, if the uh heads of these companies won't go along with what they say well they'll they'll use the shares that they control to to fire them and replace them with someone who will and so that's the thing. Well, I think they're going to start. They've stopped using the term ESG. They haven't uh, stopped u- using that power of these shares that they control as fiduciaries. Now, they're supposed to be bound by what, what they call, we call the fiduciary standard, meaning they're not supposed to inject their own opinions and their own politics into how they use these shares. But 
they use ESG as a cover to do that because they say, we're not really do, being political here. This is all for the good of the client. This is going to make the company more profitable, but nothing could be further from the truth. It's a, really just a scam to be able to push far left-wing politics into the corporate boardroom and use other, other people's money to do it. You know, this is, um, it, it's, it's alarming, but, you know, what can one do, right, other than uh, try to blow the whistle on a little bit as you see it? I think most people aren't aware that this is going on. The, the handful of people that are aware are like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this? And, and you know, the rest of us are just kind of shaking our heads, uh, folding our arms, saying, oh, unbelievable, can't believe this is happening. Uh, we, you know, we look for, for folks like you to, to be out there on the forefront of this stuff and, and so that we can talk about it. But ultimately, what, what can regular people do? What can people that, you know, are just learning about ESG, uh, how do they take action? Well, thank you so much for asking that question, because I know it can be a little intimidating to hear that we're up against the largest asset managers in the world, and they have all this money and all this power. But the good news is, as I noted before, they've built this entire thing on a house of cards. They're violating their fiduciary duty. Uh, They may probably be engaging in antitrust violations. And we're seeing more and more states push back on this. Fifteen states uh, last year passed anti-ESG measures to make sure that their state's pension funds we're not used to push a far left agenda. We've seen a number of attorneys generals launch investigations into these companies, and some of their uh, efforts have actually already failed. In addition to the asset managers, there was a net zero insurers a lot that would only write insurance for large companies if they would agree to net zero targets. Well, after a letter from attorneys generals, that basically has fallen apart. The only members of it still are overseas. We have no United States operating members of the Net Zero Insurers Alliance. So there's absolutely things that Americans can do and push back. Here's what I would recommend. First, make sure you don't have any money in these big asset managers funds. You know, if you're with BlackRock and you have a single dollar that they're managing, even if it's not in an ESG fund, it is in an ESG fund because they use all of their assets under management to push it. So get your money, your 401k or your retirement out of BlackRock. There's plenty of other alternatives for the exact same thing, S&P 500 funds, that kind of thing. Just move it to something that's not BlackRock. The second thing I would say is call your elected representatives because you know this is not this is not a, a bread and butter issue for most of us. I get it. it. I'm I'm in it. It's a wonky issue. It sounds complicated. You don't have to understand every jot and tittle of it to be able to communicate to your elected representatives that you care about it and you want something done about it. So just reaching out to your governor, your attorney general, your treasurers who've been doing a fantastic job in this space, and your and your you know state legislators. And letting them know you care about this issue and you want something done about it, that is the best way to fight back against these Wall Street fat cats who want to decide how we all run our lives. Outstanding. Now, let everybody know um, how they could support the work that you're doing at Consumers Research and how they could uh, follow you online, social media, et cetera. Absolutely. Well, to start off with, I can, uh, you can follow uh, me at Will Hill on Twitter, at Will Hill, I guess it's X, formerly known as Twitter at Will Hild, W-I-L-L-H-I-L-D. You can visit our website at consumersresearch.org. That's consumersresearch.org. And then we even have a special BlackRock. We've run about $4 million of ads educating consumers on the problems with BlackRock and what they're doing. They can visit aboutblackrock.com and see, and see more. Outstanding. Will Hild, I want to thank you for being here. Keep up the good work. Keep fighting the good fight, sir. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet. All right, America, keep it locked right here. There's more to come straight ahead. We're going to find out what 
Hunter Biden um, potentially faces in his contempt hearing, plus more from yesterday's events. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. partners if he had no involvement in your business. Do you have a dad? Does he call you? Yes. Did he answer the phone? Yes. Okay. But why did you need to talk to him during business meetings if he had nothing to do with your business? Well, you're very dangerous. Uh, that's Hunter Biden doing an interview uh, where he's being grilled on by the reporter, as you heard. Why do you have to talk to your dad about your business dealings? And his response, you're dangerous. You are dangerous. I mean, the projection is so real in what we're watching. And I got nothing else to say about it. Uh, but I want to know what's going on with um, Hunter did in this uh, contempt of Congress hearing yesterday. Where does it go from here? I know there's additional reports about his um, uh, criminal stuff where he has pled not guilty uh, today to nine federal tax charges in Los Angeles and now has a June trial date. So to help us make sense of what's going on with Hunter Biden is Mike Howell. He's director of oversight, uh, the oversight project, rather, at the Heritage Foundation, former oversight committee attorney uh, and a former attorney for the Department of Homeland Security as well. Mike Howell, welcome, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. You bet. So uh, walk us through it. I think we've seen the clips. We've seen the other reporter yelling at Hunter. What type of crack do you use, sir? I mean, we've seen so much in the last 24 hours, and uh, it's hard to make sense of. What is going on with Hunter Biden? Well, that, that's a tall order. I'll do my best. So let's, <laughs> let's focus on the process, I guess, of where we're at on Capitol Hill, as opposed from the facts. Maybe we can get into that later as to what Hunter did and why he's there. But mm-hmm. basically what happened was, the two committees on the House of Representatives issued a subpoena to Hunter Biden to show up for a closed-door deposition. This is standard practice. I mean, this is how the House has operated for, for decades. The, there's Supreme Court law on this. The House gets to choose how, when, what format they conduct their interviews or, if they so wish, a public hearing or anything in between. So Hunter Biden uh, broke that precedent and refused to show up for his deposition a few weeks ago. Uh, instead, he went outside the House of Representatives and gave a press conference. And he basically was daring the House, hey, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? And so that is against the law. It's a violation of, of a law known as contempt of Congress and obstruction of official proceedings. There's a couple of statutes on the book, all which usually carry about uh, up to one year in prison. And so... Today, those two, or I'm sorry, yesterday, those two committees met to uh, hold a vote as to whether they considered that contempt of Congress. Um, both committees voted affirmatively on, on party lines. In the oversight committee, which was you know one of the committees that he didn't show up for the deposition for, Hunter Biden waltzed in with his attorney and also another quote-unquote attorney, but the guy who's really paying his legal bills, actually, and a purchaser of his artwork to the tune of almost a million dollars. So the guys bailed out Hunter and they sat down for a moment in the, in the hearing audience just to, you know, 
obviously caused a little bit of a circus. And then to stick to that point of like, we're here, what are you going to do about it? And, and so what happens next is after committee, it goes to the full floor for a vote. Uh, imagine that this will break down on party lines, although there could be a few Republicans who don't have the stomach for it. But uh, it would be a contempt of Congress vote for the whole House to decide whether to refer this to the authorities for prosecution. And this is where things get interesting. And if you're still with me, I'm sorry, because sometimes the legal stuff can be boring. But it goes to the Department of Justice. Okay, and who controls the Department of Justice? Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is where we'll get into really hairy territory. If they send it usually to the D.C. attorney, there's a guy named Matthew Graves. He is the hardest of the left U.S. attorneys that Biden appointed. He's doing all the January 6th stuff. His wife's a huge liberal activist uh, for the National Women's, I think, Legal Center, something like that. He obviously would not enforce it. There's not a, a chance in, in the world he, he actually, you know, prosecutes Hunter for it. Uh, but there's there's an outside chance that the House Republicans decide to send it to somebody else who may prosecute it. You could think that Hunter already has a special counsel now, this guy named Weiss, the same one who offered this sweetheart plea deal a few months back. They may they may send it to him. But no recognizing that it's unlikely Biden's own Department of Justice will prosecute his son. I think this is where the impeachment really uh, picks up, because look back at Nixon. What did Nixon ultimately go down for and resign over? It was the tapes and, you know, the cover up and the not working with Congress on it when the Republicans went over and said, it's time for you to resign because we've got no choice here. And so I think you're going to see the corrupt cover up spread from just Joe and Merrick Garland to, to others involved. And this thing's really going to start to spiral at that point, because you're going to have at the same time. You know, Peter Navarro, Trump's economic advisor, is putting leg irons for not complying with the congressional subpoena from the right. January 6th. Joe, or uh, I'm sorry, Steve Bannon, the great Steve Bannon, might go to jail over not complying with the January 6th committee. And so it's a it's an indefensible position for Biden to, again, be prosecuting and jailing his political opponents uh, while letting his son offer the clearest cut example of violation of of the law that we've seen in this context for some time wow mike how you it sounds like you really explained a lot here and it, it's fascinating and to me it, it kind of sheds a little light on why they brought these indictments in the first place because like you said it's going to be tough for him to reconcile how they're going after everybody under the sun and they're going to give hunter a pass so they can't give hunter a pass so they've got to charge him on as much as they can however um, it seems like nothing will really, really happen uh, as long as they just charge him and keep it tied up. Uh, I want to get your take on that and and a little dig deeper into this. So stick with us, folks. We're on with Mike Howell, director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. He's a former Oversight Committee attorney in uh, Congress and a former attorney for the Department of Homeland Security. We're coming right back to him, plus your calls and more. Open Phone America starts in uh, the top of the next hour. So the number for that, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833 833- for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S.
Tonight with Rich Valdez. How have you been coping personally uh, with the onslaught of accusations against your husband and your family, including and especially Hunter, as the focus of a House Oversight Committee hearing, holding him in contempt, obsessing yes. over him, showing pictures of him during vulnerable moments Carl. in his battle with addiction on the floor of the House? This would crush any family. Mika, I, I think what they are doing to Hunter is cruel. And I'm really proud of um, how Hunter has rebuilt his life uh, after addiction. You know, I'm, I love my son and it's, had, it's hurt my grandchildren. And that's what I'm so concerned about, that it's affecting their lives as well. That, of course, is First Lady Dr. Jill Biden on with Mika Brzezinski on uh, The Morning Joke on MSNBC. And... The uh, discussion, the ongoing discussion is with respect to Hunter Biden and uh, all of the bad things happening to Hunter Biden. Now, in the last segment, Mike Howell, he explained absolutely uh, everything that's currently going on and how many things are up in the air and how things may end up. Uh, Mike Howell remains with us. Mike Howell, tell us um, how you think this may potentially unfold for Hunter Biden. So he's got a really complicated situation. It's multi-jurisdictional. So he pled guilty in California right now to some charges that the special counsel that he has brought, David Weiss. This is the same guy who was prosecuting him in Delaware for his failure uh, to report taxes and his gun crime. And so similar charges out in California where he was also doing business. His biggest liability right now is the thing that everyone in this country realizes that he did which was use his father's name to trade on influence to the tunes of tens of millions of dollars, an activity that, you know, implicated actively multiple members of the Biden family, primarily Joe himself and his brother, Jim Biden. Uh, the establishment of you know, 20-plus shell companies for the purposes of money laundering, the clear uh, money that came from foreign adversaries, whether it was the CCP, which we've documented extensively at Heritage Oversight Project, or, you know, corrupt regions in the world like Romania or, or Ukraine. The clear connectivity to his father's activity. You know, he fired the, the Burisma prosecutor over it. And uh, a quick point I'd like to make here is that the federal bribery statute for a public official uh, is very different than what the Democrat Party and the mainstream media, which is such a disgrace, is messaging now. They're going to try to take this argument to say, you need to tell me exactly what Joe Biden did and how exactly the money hit his bank account. That's not the standard for which a lot of people have been put behind bars. It is sufficient for a federal bribery charge against Joe Biden himself for him to know that his immediate family was indirectly for him taking a ton of money, which is evidently established throughout the record. It does not require a specific action to be taken as a result of that specific oh, wow. money. It's a much broader thing, and it makes complete sense, right? Like, if you were, if anyone with two brain cells, and I may be giving Joe Biden a little too much credit there, <laughs> was to set up, you know, this this familial enrichment plan, obviously you would not be depositing it directly into Joe Biden's account. You would be doing things like they did, where they're spreading it out through the family, where Hunter's paying for things for Joe, such as ten percent of the big guy or the home improvements or the cell phone bills, et cetera. That's how they move money. It was a family business. And so what Hunter has to be afraid of is if we ever get a, a neutral Department of Justice at best, let alone you know one that's actually 
willing to prosecute, but uh, even a neutral one. And maybe this special counsel Weiss will change his tune and, you know, do something. But he's looking at intense amounts of years for everything running from money laundering to bribery, uh, including, you know, the involvement that would connect and take down Joe. But then also the most obvious one, and there's really no, I haven't heard a single legal mouthpiece on the left explain how he's not guilty of this. But the registration as a foreign agent, if you do business and represent foreign interests, you have to represent, mm-hmm. register under the Foreign Agent Registration Act. This is what Manafort and others got thrown in prison for. Right. Hunter clearly never registered. And that is plain as day. The reason why they won't charge him with this is because can you imagine if the first son was a legally declared foreign agent and the president was by extension a foreign agent too? So that's the bombshell that I think if they hit him with, the Bidens can't escape that, you know, being tagged as a foreign agent. Imagine everything they ever accused Trump of times a thousand and clear black letter law. And, th- and that's what they did. We have a foreign agent in the White House right now, and it's, it's clear as day. We're just waiting for a Justice Department to de-weaponize itself for a moment and, and apply the law evenly. Now, Mike Howell, you, you mentioned something that I, I have not uh, really um, heard before and I think is a, is a key point here which is uh, the standard being promoted by the Democrats in the media, which is, you know, we want a smoking gun where Hunter put this money in his father's account and he knew that it was foreign cash uh, is not quite the standard and that many others have been jailed for meeting the actual standard, which is uh, a lot lower. Uh, This is an interesting message and I think it needs to be, um, you know, people need to bang the pots and pans on this one because it wasn't something I was aware of. What uh, exactly is the standard? Is it just... Um, knowing, like you mentioned, that family members may be uh, accepting this type of money, uh, or is there more to it? No, you, you pretty much nailed it. And if you're following along at home, a, a simple Google, if you just look at the federal bribery statute, you can pull the text up, and I'll walk you through it without having the advantage of it right in front of me. But the statute contemplates uh, if a federal official is in power and has you know some authority over something, and it could even be a former official as well, by the way, if they still, you know, conduct some sort of influence over it. If they are aware of money coming in that could be seen as, you know, influencing that proceeding, and it doesn't have to be direct to that principle. It could be indirect. And so that's the standard in which you can get convicted of federal bribery. And the, the drafters of the statute clearly understood that this is how bribery and public corruption works. You don't pay off the principal. You do things around the edges. And so long as the principal knows money's coming in to enrich people he's connected with and he has control over the proceeding in which they're intending to influence, so not actually influencing. He doesn't actually have to change policy, although I think he's he's done that. Uh, That's sufficient grounds for a federal bribery conviction. And so that, that implicates the entire Biden family. I mean, we're at a point right now where even the higher standard, is met because we know we have the receipts that James Comer has produced sure. of checks going back and forth. You have the testimony in, of the whistleblower, Tony Bobolinsky, the 10% of the big guy. You have the laptop, which Democrats, you know, was a conspiracy theory in the election. Now they're citing to it as evidence when it helps their case, which it never does, but they do anyway. So they've admitted it's real. Um, it's all there. And so the higher standards met, the lower standards met. But the media narrative, and if you follow any of these folks online or MSNBC, they're just going to keep moving the goalposts. And the goalposts have been moved 100 yards 
since we started. It was I Joe Bi- or Hunter never did any business with China. To I was never I was never aware. To well I was never involved. To, you got him on the phone during a meeting. Oh well I was just saying hi. It's yeah. <laughs> it's just loosey goosey. We're in a post factual world. It's so deeply partisan right now. Uh, it doesn't matter. You could get a video of Joe Biden doing this stuff, and it wouldn't change folks' minds. But that's where we're at. Outstanding analysis, Mike Howell. Uh, folks, uh, again, um, Mike Howell was referencing um, United States Code, uh, Title 18, Section 201, the bribery of public officials and witnesses. Uh, fascinating, fascinating. Uh, very good point. Uh, Mike Howell, before you go, I want you to put on your Homeland Security hat. I want to ask you a qu- question about immigration when we come back. Folks, we're on with Mike Howell uh, from the Heritage Foundation. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. There is so much fear-mongering going on that it is difficult to know exactly where to start. But let me say this. First, the Biden administration is enforcing immigration laws. In fact, the administration has been so heavy-handed in recent months that I have serious concerns about how they are conducting border enforcement. That's Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, who represents uh, Seattle, Washington. She says the Biden administration's immigration tactics are heavy handed. Mike Howell from the Oversight Project at Heritage Foundation. Do you agree? (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) not. If she thinks this is heavy handed, she should close her eyes if, you know, Donald Trump becomes president again, because you see Tom Holman, the former head of ICE, and Mark Morgan and those guys who led the most secure border in history. privileged to to work for them at times and work with them now but you're going to see the biggest mass deportation program in american history uh it's going to be a equal and opposite reaction to this border crisis this invasion actually it's an invasion that's what it is that biden and the left have, have done to our country i think that that may be the biggest constitutional abuse in american presidential history to give up the sovereignty of the united yeah. states in order to enact a mass resettlement program uh, for political design and the, the amount of people have died of fentanyl, that's what's heavy handed. The drugs flowing across, the people who live on the border who can't, you know, even have safety in their own homes. How about heavy handed for the kids in New York who got thrown out of their schools so illegal aliens right. could, could go there? That's what's heavy handed. And it's, it's infuriating. And I wish Republicans in Capitol Hill had a little bit more of a spine to deal with it instead of funding this, you know, continuously. Mm hmm. Now, Mike Howell, let everybody know how they could uh, keep up to speed with you, whether it be uh, on social media or uh, at your website, so that they could um, keep in touch. Yeah, I appreciate that. We're on Twitter at Oversight PR. Those are the letters PR. And we are in 50 lawsuits versus the government, multiple investigations spanning you know multiple departments and issues, and we post all of our findings there. I'm at M. Howell Tweets. Uh, follow me there for some good hot takes for you. Outstanding. Folks, Mike Howell, director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation, uh, former Oversight Committee attorney and former uh, Department of Homeland Security attorney. I want to thank you for being here, sir. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. We appreciate it. Thank you, Rich. You bet. Godspeed to you, sir. 
Folks, Open Phone America is coming up right now. Get those calls in, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. We're talking about all of the topics that we've talked about, plus what you're bringing to the table. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you this Thursday evening. And our phone number, if you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we've been talking about the news of the day and uh, what's going on with the upcoming election all evening, but there's a bunch of other stories out here that uh, I, I'm just digging into. And man, these are some crazy stories. Uh, first one I'm looking at here is this one here. eBay. eBay is in a world of hurt. I'm going to get to that momentarily. Uh, but apparently some executives and employees at eBay took exception to what uh, a critic online was saying about them. And they took it amongst themselves to start harassing these people. It cost them millions. We're going to get into that in a moment. Plus, uh, there's uh, this guy. He's a bachelor. He's out there uh, suing now. He's suing dozens of women for $75 million after they posted negative reviews of him on a Facebook page called Are We Dating the Same Guy? Describing him as very clingy and a serial ghoster. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, we're going to get into that one as well. And, uh, of course, I want to continue our discussion on Jelly Roll, right? The uh, country superstar that I'd never heard of until the 30th of December 2023. And I haven't stopped hearing about since I discovered the guy. He's all over the place. The ubiquitous Jelly Roll. He was in Congress today talking about uh, why it's important to keep the focus on fentanyl. And uh, kind of blow the whistle on that stuff. So we have uh, some additional audio clips. I played some earlier. And I might replay those uh, just to bring you up to speed again. Uh, but we've got a lot to discuss. And, of course, we've talked about a lot of things tonight so far. We've talked about Hunter Biden and his uh, contempt of Congress um, hearing yesterday we, and what could potentially happen afterwards. Uh, we've talked about uh, ESG um, and the... Um, the, the Court of Appeals finally ruling that uh, people can make better dishwashers because apparently they'd made regulations so strict that dishwashers weren't drying dishes anymore. So imagine that we're celebrating a victory that dishwashers can dry again. And and this was done so that we would use less energy instead of more. It's just absolute insanity what's going on. And, of course, we talked about the upcoming Iowa caucuses, the uh, debates that were on last night, the uh, town hall from President Trump. We've got a couple of clips of audio from that. We'll get to that as well. 
and of course your calls. So you can uh, get those calls in. Uh, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to start off with this eBay story because I think it's fascinating. Now, eBay is uh, now on the hook to pay $3 million after their employees sent, listen to this, live spiders, cockroaches, and more to intimidate this couple that was criticizing them online. Now, eBay was ordered by the court to cough up $3 bucks to resolve criminal charges related to a harassment campaign by eBay employees who sent live spiders, cockroaches, and other disturbing items to the, ho- uh, to, excuse me, to the home of a Massachusetts couple, according to uh, papers that were filed in court today. The Justice Department charged eBay with four counts of what they called corporate stalking. Two of them were through interstate travel and two of them were through electronic communication services as well as witness tampering and obstruction of justice, the federal agency said in a press release. So again, the Department of Justice charged eBay with obstruction of justice. Wow, this is crazy. I'd never heard of such a thing. These seven employees who waged this ruthless intimidation campaign against uh, a married couple from Massachusetts have already been handed felony convictions, seven people. The ringleader received the greatest sentence, 57 months in federal prison. Now, it allegedly all began with an online intimidation campaign back in 2019 when defendants uh, Ina and David Steiner were taunted by an account on Twitter pretending to be an eBay seller. The Steiners, who run uh, their own e-commerce publication called E-Commerce Bytes, were threatened to stop reporting on eBay. This is, again, all in the lawsuit that came out today uh, and was originally filed against eBay back in 2021. The story uh, alleges that the harassment was written by Ina in August 2019 And a lawsuit was brought by eBay that accused uh, them, uh, actually accused Amazon of poaching its sellers. And this is where it all stemmed from. A half after, uh, excuse me, a half hour after the article was published, eBay's then CEO, Devin Wang, he uh, sent another top executive a message saying, quote, If you are ever going to take her down, now is the time, according to the court documents. Again, they're talking about Ms. Steiner. The executive sent Wang's message to James Baugh. Uh, Mr. Baugh, who was eBay's senior director of safety and security uh, and called Ina Steiner a biased troll who needs to get burned down, all caps, end quote. (laughs) So they, uh, they keep going. As the online threats continued, the couple allegedly started receiving disturbing packages that included live cockroaches, spiders, a Halloween mask of a bloody pig, and a book titled Grief Diaries, Surviving the Loss of a Spouse. How's that for a subliminal message? This is sounding like the godfather and the horse's head. Uh, Further, they allege that the company attempted to break into their garage to install a GPS tracking device in order to defame this couple and get them to stop reporting on eBay, according to the lawsuit. 
The Steiners also sued a handful of eBay's executives, claiming the brutal ambush against them was not just uh, spurred by employees, but more as a result of the company's policy. The Department of Justice on Thursday decided that eBay did, in fact, play a role in the harassment. eBay, and here's a quote from the, um, the papers from U.S. Attorney Joshua Levy. He says, eBay engaged in absolutely horrific criminal conduct. Wow. The company's employees and contractors involved in this campaign put the victims through pure hell in a petrifying campaign aimed at silencing their reporting and protecting the eBay brand. When the New York Post sought a comment from eBay, a spokesperson pointed to a statement on its website where CEO Jamie Iannone Iannone says the company's conduct in 2019 was wrong and reprehensible. We continue to extend our deepest apologies to the Steiners for what they endured. Since these events occurred, new leaders have joined the company and eBay has strengthened its policies, procedures, controls, and training. In a uh, blog post published to their website, E-Commerce Bytes, the Steiners said, after today's announcement, uh, we remain determined to push for answers and do whatever we possibly can to ensure that no corporation ever feels that the option exists for them to squash a person's First Amendment rights. Listen, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I'm all about the First Amendment, right? Uh, I sit here on a microphone every day and I share my opinions and thoughts on everything under the sun. I literally have a tattoo of the Statue of Liberty and a microphone right next to each other on my arm because I believe in free speech. Uh, That's what we do here. That's what it's all about. Without free speech, we really can't have the rest of our uh, Bill of Rights because we won't be allowed to talk about them. So I'm with that. I'm totally with that. But I think this whole story is absolutely bizarre, right? I've never heard of such a thing. If you've heard of such a thing where a corporation engaged in harassing its critics, uh, because listen, I criticize things like Spirit Airlines. I had a, I'm going to not say horrific, but an unpleasant experience with them on more than one occasion. And the last time that happened to me, I said, I'm not flying Spirit anymore. But I was in a position where I was uh, in Colombia, the country, and I went there on American Airlines and had a fantastic uh, flight over. Uh, But the only return flight that would get me home in time was on Spirit. All the other ones through American or uh, uh, any other airline were had such a big layover that it would have taken me forever to get home. So the one with the time frame that worked best for me was Spirit. And I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to bite the bullet. Even though I said I wasn't going to go back to them. I hadn't flown with Spirit probably in a year and a half. I decided to go for it. And it was, again, not good. Um, I paid for Wi-Fi. Listen, Wi-Fi on most trips, if you know, if you're a frequent flyer, they throw it in for free sometimes. But um, when I pay, I pay eight bucks, right? I think it's eight bucks you pay for the Wi-Fi. On Spirit, it was $14.99. And, and you pay for each. It's not for the one trip, even if it's a layover. You got to pay for each leg of the layover. Uh, I bought it twice, so $30 in, in Wi-Fi. And it didn't work on either trip, on either of the planes I took. Uh, they also, um, I had one bag with me, one bag that fits under the seat in front of me, uh, which they consider a personal item. And what did they decide to do when I got to the airport in, uh, Medellin, Colombia, they said, Oh, could you turn around? Let me see the bag that's on your back. I said, sure. Um, she says, it looks a little big to me. We're going to have to charge you, uh, as a carry on. I was like, well, you know, I, I use this all the time. I've flown, I don't know, probably a dozen flights on spirit. 
And uh, since, I don't know, 2016, 2017, and uh, I've never had this problem before. It's always fit under the seat. I don't see the issue. And and she said, yeah, we're, we're going to charge it. And they charged me, guess what? No, not $58, not $68, not $85, $125 they charged me to bring this uh, duffel bag that was over my shoulder that fit under the seat in front of me and charged it as a carry-on for 125 bucks. I was upset. I was very upset about this. Uh, and I let the girl at the, uh, the check-in counter know. And it made me think, I think they do this on purpose. Right? I think that when, they, when you go to check-in online, they intentionally say, oh, sorry, we can't um, give you your boarding pass online. Uh, please see a ticket agent. And they do that just so they can check out your bags and try and upsell you on everything. Do you want more legroom? Do you want this? Do you want that? And, and I bought the more leg room and it's like, that wasn't enough. So they decided, all right, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to get you. So uh, I have a bone to pick with Spirit Airlines. And I'm wondering if I go online or on this radio station uh, or hundreds of radio stations where this program is being broadcast on this program and I say something disparaging about Spirit or just the truth about my experience with um, their flight, do they now have the right to send me live cockroaches and spiders and everything else? Have you ever had an experience where you complained about something and they came back after you in retribution? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If you're a first-time caller, I encourage you strongly to call in tonight. I want to speak with a lot of first-time callers tonight. If you're a regular, I definitely want to hear from you. And if you've called before but you haven't called in a while, I definitely want to hear from you too. It's a new year, and I want to hear your perspectives on this, um, as well as everything else we're going to get into tonight. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And... Uh, again, thanks for putting up with my rant against Spirit Airlines. Again, I used to fly Spirit all the time. I once had a girlfriend in uh, um, Fort Lauderdale, and I used to go almost every weekend for a couple of years straight or a year and a half or so. And I, I, I loved Spirit. This was, again, during the Trump years. So you could get round-trip flights for, for 100 bucks, sometimes 50 bucks. Uh, it was great. Now that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, during the Biden years, everything's, you know, double maybe even triple, uh, usually triple. But that was my experience. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what your experience has been like. And, of course, if you have any comments on Hunter Biden uh, or the Houthis or anything else we've talked about tonight, feel free to, to chime in. The phone number is 833-482-5337. I see calls uh, coming in from Idaho, from North Carolina, South Carolina. Let's go to Robert Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Robert, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. 
Okay, Rich, I just wanted to say that, you know, when it comes to that kind of a situation, I'm always very happy to get a, an airplane connection when there otherwise wouldn't be one. And I, I would never tell the airline that, but, but I would pay almost anything to, to get a connection when I really need one. One time I was in Frankfurt on mine with my pet rabbit, and I lived in Dresden, and I, I wouldn't have known what to do with the rabbit. So I, I asked them if I could take my rabbit with me, and they said, sure. And I said, well, okay, and they, but it'll cost you 200, I guess it was marks or euros, I can't remember anymore. So I was glad to pay the 200 marks or euros or whatever it was. And they took really good care of us on the plane. Jennifer, my rabbit, she got salad. We got all three seats at the, at the, ex, at the exit, the emergency exit, uh, free for us. And the, and the guy sat with us the whole time because, you know, rabbits have an unfortunate reputation of being, um, um, in Germany, called Nagetier, which means they're an animal that chews, in other words, a, um, a rodent have a rodent image, but they're really not rodents. They're separate from rodents. But anyhow, they because of that image, they they I I think that's why they put somebody next to us who on, on the who sat on the on, on the emergency seat just to keep an eye on myself and the rabbit. And we had a really good trip, and they took like I say excellent care of us, and 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 it was worth the extra two hundred two hundred whatever it was in order so that we. Um, Well, it makes sense to me if you're traveling with a rabbit that they're going to charge you uh, for, you know, for your pet and and whatever it is. Uh, But I I, I was traveling with one bag, one bag that that fit right under the seat and wasn't going to gnaw through anything. And I can't believe they charged me what they did. And then the flight was delayed and the Wi-Fi didn't work. It was just uh, it was just not cool. And I feel like I always have a, a not cool experience when I'm dealing with Spirit Airlines. Um, was this uh, rabbit incident with uh, Spirit Airlines as well? No, it was, um, it was, um, I think it was, oh, that was with Pakistan International Airlines is what it oh, was. Oh, of course. I've never flown with Pakistan International Airlines. Um, I haven't been to that part of the world, but if I do, I will uh, let you know. Now, Robert, how are things uh, in Charleston, South Carolina? I know we had a big storm here in New York. How's the weather in your neck of the woods? Oh, it's fine. Uh, I live in a really perfect place here. I live uh, on James Island, and um, uh, the, the birds come here to rest and relax when, when, when there's bad weather because for some reason we this particular point the weather seems to revolve or bad weather seems to revolve around us, but never exactly hit where I'm located. So I'm really very lucky. I think God must be with me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. I mean, in terms of, of, of miracles, you know what I mean? I, uh, Amen <laughs> to that. Mom, yeah, yeah. My mom, she always she said to me when I was younger, how do you survive? So I survived. I said, I survived from miracle to miracle. And then she realized later, I really do. And then I, and then I said to her later in life, I said, Mom, how do you size me up? Oh, she said, um, your, your, your strongest intelligence is in the area of creativity uh, for, for which you have a flair. So, so I, that's how I You do, do have a flair for creativity. That and, and uh, you are an aficionado of all things German. Robert, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in South Carolina on WTMA. Folks, we continue with uh, more from this uh, guy who's suing all his ex-girlfriends for saying bad things about him online. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 
833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Equally, I think it's important for me to tell y'all that I'm not here to defend the use of illegal drugs. And I also understand the paradox of my history as a drug dealer standing in front of this committee. But equally, I think that's what makes me perfect to talk about this. I was a part of the problem. I am here now standing as a man that wants to be a part of the solution. I brought my community down. I hurt people. I was the uneducated man in the kitchen playing chemists with drugs I knew absolutely nothing about, just like these drug dealers are doing right now when they're mixing every drug on the market with fentanyl, and they're killing the people we love. That is uh, the voice of Jason Defford or DeFord. I'm not sure how you say that. Jelly Roll. He's a country music superstar known as Jelly Roll, uh, introducing himself at the um, Senate hearing and giving his his uh, his two cents on this fentanyl bill that's before the Senate. And he's got a lot to say. He's really outspoken on this. And I can tell you, if you've heard any of his music, I, I've heard some of it. Very melancholy, very kind of a sad music, even though it's got a great message to it. Uh, but he, he he sings from the heart and he speaks the same way. He's telling the truth here. Uh, now, Jelly Roll speaks from his experience as a drug dealer, but he also says that there is someone in his immediate family that is also a drug addict. And he speaks from that perspective. Listen to this. I believed when I sold drugs genuinely that selling drugs was a victimless crime. I truly believe that, y'all. My father always told me, what doesn't get you in the wash will get you in the rinse. Now I have a 15-year-old daughter whose mother is a drug addict. Every day I get to look in the eyes of a victim in my household of the effects of drugs. Every single day. And every single day I have to wonder, if me and my wife, if today will be the day that I have to tell my daughter that her mother became a part of the national statistics. And he went on um, talking about these national statistics and talking about the number of fentanyl deaths. And I got to tell you, you know, when, 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 you're, when you're a famous country music superstar, you don't necessarily need this kind of press, right, uh, appearing before Congress. Um, the guy's ubiquitous as it is. Like I said, I'd never heard of him until the 30th of, of September, uh, December, excuse me, the day before New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve Eve, if you will. And that night, I seen him uh, receiving an award. I don't know if it was a news report about an award show or an award show that occurred that night. But the reception was phenomenal, and his name caught me, right? And they said, and um, Jelly Roll. And I was thinking, are they making fun of the guy? <laughs> because he is a, he's a big, tall, you know, fat guy uh, with tattoos on his face. And, and I thought to myself, he goes by Jelly Roll. And I thought maybe they were making fun of him, but no, it's his name, and it's a fitting name. It's funny because he's a very serious kind of guy. Um, and, and, and it was interesting to see him get the reception that he got and his, his music's very deep and it's very, uh, Christ centered and, and really it's a, it's a, a music with a message. And I, I just found it interesting uh, again, very melancholy, not something I would normally play, but definitely something I enjoyed listening to when I heard it. Um, I can't say I'm a mega fan, but I can say he's a talented guy for sure. And all that being said, he doesn't need this. He doesn't need to go out there and talk about uh, his baby's mother uh, being a, a drug addict. He doesn't need to talk about that. But he's, this is something that he's passionate about. And good for him for bringing it to all of our attention. And he went on to talk about these statistics. Check this out. 
I was speaking outside to the media, and I, I gave them a statistic that said 190 people a day overdose and die every single day in the United States of America. That is about a 737 plane. That's what about a 737 aircraft can carry. Could you imagine the national media attention it would get if they were reporting that a plane was crashing every single day and killing 190 people? But because it's 190 drug addicts, we don't feel that way. And listen, I'm with him on this one. I think that people um, are, are missing the mark here. And this is not, you know, we had, um, I think his name was Derek Maltz, right? He was on here, former DEA uh, director and or supervisor. And he was um, really apt. And something he said I thought was fantastic. And he said, look, we've got to stop calling these fentanyl overdoses because it's really fentanyl poisoning. These people weren't dosing themselves at all. They weren't even taking fentanyl as far as they knew. They were taking something else and ended up being fentanyl that poisoned them. And I think that's a, a very important distinction to make. A lot of people are taking Xanax and it's not really Xanax. It's fentanyl pretending to be Xanax. You know, these counterfeit pills that are laced with fentanyl. People thinking that they're taking an Adderall uh, for focus and voila, dropping dead. And this is a huge problem. People thinking they're doing cocaine and it's got fentanyl in it and it, boom, they're done. People doing whatever they think they're doing. Um, and, and that's part of, I think, the larger war against the United States from China. But, you know, call me crazy. I also think that uh, COVID-19 was, was leaked from a lab. But why were they making a more lethal version of an already uh, dangerous virus? Well, you guessed it, to make it more lethal. <laughs> they want to kill people. They say they do that in the name of gain-of-function research. I say they do it in the name of we hate Americans and let's, uh, let's get them. And we want to have a, a, a virus that we can weaponize. And the best way to fight is when people don't even know you're fighting, right? They're not fighting back. If you're hitting them over the head with, with uh, illegal drugs that they're already buying illegally and it just happens to be the wrong drug, boom, you're eliminating these people. Uh, but they don't always die, right? A lot of them become addicts. And that's why Jelly Roll says it's time to be proactive about this problem. And we have to take action now. Listen to this. It is time for us to be proactive and not reactive. We were reactive with crack. We were reactive with opioids. And y'all are taking the first step. It's somebody in Senate finally being proactive. I truly believe in my heart that this bill, that this bill will stop the supply and can help stop the supply of fentanyl. But in part of being proactive, gentlemen and, and women I, and, and ladies, I have to be frank and tell y'all that if we don't talk to the other side of Capitol Hill and stop the demand, we are going to spin our tires in the mud. Y'all are taking the first step, but I encourage you to take it outside of this room and you take it to your colleagues and your constituents and you give them the most that you can. Listen, I am uh, right now, if Jelly Roll is on the ticket with Trump in 2024, I'm on board. El Trumpito and Jelly Roll 2024, uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm ready to support that ticket uh, because he urged the lawmakers to act on this bill. And he did it with, in my opinion, genuine passion, right? It, it was not just um, uh, something that he thought he needed to talk about. A lot of celebrities go to Capitol Hill and, and they look just like that, like celebrities that are talking about something that, you know, they want to get some ink on or they want to, they really do care about. Uh, but, but few have come across as as passionate as this guy, right? He seems very genuine here. Like he's got nothing to gain except seeing people do better. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So um, let's end with this one here where he urges uh, Congress to act on this bill. At every concert I perform, 
I witness the heartbreaking impact of fentanyl. I see fans grappling with this tragedy in the form of music that they seek solace in music and hope that their experiences won't befall others. They crave reassurance. These are the people I'm here to speak for, y'all. These people crave reassurance that their elected officials actually care more about human life than they do about ideology and partisanship. I stand here as a regular member of society. I am a stupid songwriter, y'all, but I have firsthand witnessed this in a way most people have not. I encourage y'all to not only pass this bill, but I encourage you to bring it up where it matters, at the kitchen table. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Kudos to you, Jelly Roll, um, Jason Defford, and um, Godspeed to you in your quest to have Congress act on this. My, my hope is that Congress will act on it and the president will say, oh, my gosh, we have a problem with fentanyl. Maybe we should shut the border. Wouldn't that be something? Maybe we could use the Department of Homeland Security and Border Patrol and, and ICE and uh, Customs and Border Patrol to shut down the border and protect American citizens from the fentanyl that's coming across the border. It's a novel idea. Maybe you should try it, Mr. Biden. Folks, looking forward to speaking with you. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back, familia. I want to get with you guys, the amigos on the phone. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We've got calls from Idaho, a couple from Kentucky, and more coming in. Let's uh, handle some of these Kentucky calls. Let's go to David calling from Bowling Green on WKCT. Kentucky in the building. David, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I wanted to chime in on the uh, on the fentanyl uh, discussion there. Um, the reason that they are mixing it with these other drugs like cocaine and meth, whatnot, is because op- uh, fentanyl belongs to the opiate category, and that yeah. is the hardest that is the hardest uh, drug to come up of because the withdrawal is so terrible. And um, I'm an, I'm a person that has lived through that, and thank goodness I've survived it. Uh, wow. But their goal is, yeah, their goal is to hopefully, without people like knowing it, is get them hooked on the opiate as well. That way, even if they wanted to quit their drug of choice, they're going to ha- have a harder time because they're dealing with the opiate withdrawal as well. Wow, David. Well, congratulations on that. H- how did that work for you? 
Like, I guess, uh, how did you end up using fentanyl? Uh, was it, how, did you start on fentanyl? Or did you start with something else? I had a, I had a bar, I had a bad car wreck back in 2003. Um, right, uh, right after I graduated high school, right before college, yeah. I flipped my car. Anyway, got on a lot of pain medication. Um, cause obviously it was a bad wreck. And, um, after the doctor was done writing me scripts, I was still craving it. And fentanyl was one of the things that basically came, basically anything that belonged to the opiate family, it was in my pathway. Like, if I came across it, I was going to get it, um, you know, purchase it or, you know, whatever, wow. and, and, and go ahead. But um, that's, how I, that, that's how I came across it. And um, How did you kick the habit? Um, Suboxone. Um, basically, it's a synthetic opiate that they'll put you on. Uh, like the clinic will, and mm-hmm. then you taper off of that. Um, but yeah, it'll it'll take away the withdrawal symptoms, and then you taper off of that uh, to where it doesn't. You won't feel it. It'll just like gradually go away to where you oh, don't feel the God. pain, and you can actually function from day to day and go to work and do all that. So, wow. Well, Godspeed to you, my man. I'm glad that you're doing well and you're clean and sober and you're able to get past that. Uh, I realize that what, from what we're hearing and what we see all over the place, this is a, a very difficult, difficult addiction to, to beat and uh, one that claims the lives of so many people uh, on a regular basis. Uh, somebody in my extended family just a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, like through uh, former in-laws, just had a, a, a terrible loss. And uh, somebody I went to grammar school with just two days ago, I saw also um, lost her life to this. So very, very, very serious stuff. David, thank you for the call. I appreciate you listening to the show and for calling in and sharing. Uh, means a lot to me. Godspeed. Let's continue. Let's go to Bob, also in Bowling Green, Kentucky. What's going on, Bowling Green? Big shout out to WKCT and everybody out there listening. Bob, what's going on, my man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich Valdez, with an S. That's me. <laughs> I say thank you with an S. <laughs> uh, two things involved in that. One, I'm a Vietnam-era uh, veteran. Well, thank you for your service. And, and we had such a trauma with 40,000 deaths in, in eight years in Vietnam. We've had 2,000-plus deaths in 9-11. And this... Fentanyl issue is 330,000 deaths in the last four years. Yeah. And nobody's paying attention to it. Isn't that crazy? I don't understand that. It is crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like there's uh, very few people talking about it, and I'm grateful for you bringing it to to the attention of our, our listeners. I'm grateful for Jelly Roll speaking about it in Congress. I don't even know Jelly Roll, uh, but I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. Because this is definitely something that it's it's the new silent killer. They say that's um, uh, high blood pressure. I say it's fentanyl. It's out there. It's killing people left and right. And nobody's really uh, paying attention or very few people are paying attention. I think we need to be sounding the alarms on a regular basis. Uh, Bob, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WKCT and all the veterans out there. And we're coming right back with your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. To the phones we go, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Katie, writing Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Katie, go right ahead quickly. Hi, Rich. Um, everyone, our uh, radio host at 3 p.m. at W-E-E-U has congestive heart failure and was taken to the hospital today. I please ask everyone to please say a prayer. Our Father, sure. our, our What is the, the name of this host? Oh, certainly. His name is Chris Barnes. Well, I, I extend a, a word of prayer for Chris Barnes. I uh, pray that the Lord does what he does and and provides the healing that he needs very, very quickly. And I'm grateful that you called in with that request. I know we have a lot of listeners that are faithful, prayerful people, and I know they're going to follow suit as well. Thank you, Katie. Big shout out to WEEU and a special shout out to Chris Barnes. Let's go to Diane in Chicago on WGN. Diane. Go right ahead quickly. Hi, hi, Rich. Um, I, of course, it's eleven eleven forty five here, so in Chicago, so I won't be listening until sure that's one fine. o'clock. You know, go right ahead. So, so it's so I didn't know your topics, but that fentanyl thing sounds so horrible. And then, of course, a prayer for this Chris Barnes, whoever that person is. But mm-hmm. you know, with God, all things are possible. Amen. And and I hate to sound so flippant, but I was then I'm going to skip to the thing of that I called. I thought maybe I'd put my two cents worth in about. Yeah, sure. We're um, going to run out of time, so make it quick. Um, the ambassador to Japan, um, Ron Emanuel, was in town, and and he ostensibly, well, I should say maybe it was a reason ten tenure. Um, celebration of him right. having done something for the city colleges, but I think he is sort of um, feeling around for that crisis. You know, the thing of a uh, he, he mentioned about he talked about the yeah, migrants. yeah, never let a good crisis go to waste. Right, right. So I'm thinking he maybe have have aspirations for the Democratic convention in in, in August, and he might be, you know, ang- you know, angling for well, you know, power, you know. That fentanyl thing, I don't understand it. I don't under. I, it's it's something I hear about all the time in the news, but something just it just is like not in, of interest to me. And yet, hearing some horror stories, this is just you know what what this guy said about statistics or what deaths you know or the Vietnam guy said comparatively. So I don't understand. Is that a drug that people? Is that like an underground drug where people buy? In, you know, from drugs. Well, either? I'll tell you, fentanyl is a synthetic uh, opiate uh, that that is used in 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 the medical field. However, it's used on the street as well to dilute other drugs. So people are buying uh, certain drugs that have this built into it, and it's it's kind of like a synthetic heroin, if you will, and it's cheaper and more lethal, and it you can use it in smaller doses. So they lace other medicines or other other drugs with it and people unsuspectingly using these counterfeit drugs that are laced with fentanyl uh, sometimes get away with it and they get high and they do whatever they do and the the idea i believe is to get people hooked on this stuff because it's so cheap for them to produce and voila you've got new customers the problem is not everybody can tolerate it and a lot of people are poisoned by it and they drop dead So that seems to be uh, the uh, unfortunate truth around that. Diane, thanks for your call. America, take care. Good night. And God bless you, America. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. 
The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 